Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, if you have your outlines with you for today, go ahead and stick them in your Bible somewhere. Um, We're going to do something totally different. And uh, as I was praying about today, I felt like God put something totally different on my heart <clears throat> to share. And, um, and so this is, um, and, and I, I want to go ahead and say up front, this is not a message that's original by me. I didn't write the outline of this, but um, <clears throat> I was uh, sharing with a pastor friend and I felt like we needed to talk about some of these things that um, we want to look at, especially, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up and you're going to be spending a lot of time with some family members and I'm sure there are going to be lots of discussions uh, with all that's been going on this year and, and with the election. And you're probably, you, you know, you, you probably are a family where there's some people that have different opinions. And so you might have some very difficult conversations and challenging conversations because the reality is after this election, half the country is depressed and the other half is elated. And and so we're, you know, we're not all on the same page. And, and the Bible tells us that we as a church are called to be healers and called to be reconcilers. So I want to back up from that and say, okay, if that's true, if that's what we're called to do as, as believers, then how do I approach um, family members, friends, uh, ex-friends? that uh, we're just not on the same page. And so I want us to look through scripture and I'm going to use as our foundation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. So if you have your Bibles or you have your phone app, uh, get out your, uh, your scripture and uh, let's go through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. <clears throat> Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Now, right off the bat, you want to go, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be fearful about my responsibilities? Well, look at it this way. The Bible tells us the the only thing that we legitimately should fear is God himself. That's the beginning, an understanding of wisdom. And so when we talk in relationship to God, there is a fear and trembling that goes along with that because he is God. I mean, he is the God, the only God. And and so Paul is saying, my responsibility to the Lord, I approach it with seriousness, with fear, with trembling, not cowardness, not run and hide, but this is as serious as it gets. When it comes to the things of God, there's nothing more serious. So yeah, it ought to be a whole different level of attitude and emotional response than it would be about anything else. So Paul says, we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. And you should say the same thing. We work hard to persuade others. There it is. My responsibility to the Lord is to give a lot of effort, a lot of energy to persuading others about Jesus. 
God knows we are sincere. How does he know that? Well, he always looks at the heart. God examines our hearts, and he's the only one that can truly understand our heart. And Paul says, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us. Well, that sounds a little arrogant. You know, I want you to be proud of me. The only thing I bet what I'm hearing Paul say is the only thing that's legitimate that you should be proud of somebody for. I mean, yeah, it's okay to be proud of somebody for accomplishments and things like that. I'm not talking about that, but, but from the context of what he's saying, I want us to be proud of each other when we're doing the things that please God. To be proud of each other as a church body when we're doing those things that honor God, that fulfill his purpose and his plan. And so I'm proud of you when you are doing what God has called you to do, when you are being who God's called you to be. That's my greatest source of pride for you as your pastor. He says, no, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those, and here you go, this is the other side of pride, those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. When I'm with other pastors and I hear them start to talk about things, I pay attention to what they start telling me. You know, um, when they start telling me about people that have been baptized and lives that are being changed and people that are being discipled, I get so excited about that. But when they start telling me about um, buildings that they've built and programs that they run and how many people they had show up for this and how many people showed up for that, I start to yawn. It's kind of like, okay, so what's your point? Tell me about lives changed. Because you can have the biggest buildings in the world, you can have the biggest budget in the world, you can have crowds coming, but if lives aren't being changed, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing, according to God. It boils down to lives being changed. He said, so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, <laughs> let me, when people start thinking you're crazy because you're doing the things of God, that's a compliment. <laughs> that, that's a real compliment. I mean, they, they, oh, he's off his rocker. All he talks about is God. All he talks about are the Bible and all he talks about are spiritual things. That's a, that's a good label to have for you. He, he said, if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. We're crazy about God. We're crazy about our relationship with Jesus. And, and if we are in our right minds, it is to your benefit. Either way, Christ's love, his love controls us. So what controls you? Your passions? Your desires? Or is it Christ's love? Legitimately, that's what should be controlling you. The love of Jesus in you. Because here's the deal. I love you better when I love you with Jesus' love. I love you the best when I'm loving you with Jesus's love. If I love you with just my love, it always runs out. So I need to tap into Christ's love. Paul's saying this, he said, you know, 
If we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Paul's saying, I stopped living for me so that I could live for Jesus. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So as a believer, it's easy to slip back into living for yourself, even as a believer. So you need to remind yourself from time to time, am I truly living for Jesus? Am I driven by his love? Do I love others with his love? When I love you with Jesus' love, then I look at you through God's eyes, which is very different than my eyes. Then he says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Paul's saying, look, we love you through Jesus's love. We love you through the eyes of God. So we don't love you or examine you or evaluate you based on a human viewpoint. Because I want to say a human viewpoint, not worth a lot. God's viewpoint, well, that's worth everything. So we stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. So I, I start looking at you and say, okay, what does God think? What does God want you to know? What does God desire for you? That's, for, that's not my agenda. That's God's agenda. He says, how differently we know him now. This, so they grew in their faith just like we should all grow in our faith. <clears throat> this means that anyone who belongs to Christ become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. The only way to do it is through Jesus. Now, here it is. This is for you. This is for me. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Wow, what a huge task. You see, you and I need to focus on persuading people about Jesus instead of our political position. Do I need to say that one again? You and I need to be passionate about drawing people to Jesus, convincing them of Christ, than trying to win over a political point. God has given us the task. He has entrusted it to you. You know who else he gave that task to? Nobody. He gave it to the church. And if we don't do it, it doesn't happen. Now, that's, that's a scary thought. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. That's great news. See, you and I have got a wonderful message to tell. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He gave it to us to tell others. 
So we are Christ's ambassadors. <laughs> we represent Jesus. God is making his appeal through us. Oh, now listen to this one. We speak for Christ. Wow. So I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm his ambassador. I am making, God's making an appeal to people through me and through you. We are speaking for Jesus. Doesn't that change the way you think about how you talk to people? When, when I'm talking to somebody, I'm sitting there going, I'm representing Jesus right now. I am, Jesus is speaking through me. I'm speaking for Jesus. I'm speaking words of reconciliation. And who else has God given that privilege to? Nobody. Only, only to the church. Only to believers. How, in, I mean, can you think of a more important, eternally important job than that? Can you think of anything of more value than that? Can you think of a better job description to have for your life than that? Can you think of a better purpose for living than that? You're Christ ambassador. You speak for Jesus. And man, I'll tell you what, that's where the fear and trembling comes. I'm, I'm speaking for Jesus. God makes, I got to make sure my heart's right. I got to make sure I get self out of the way and that I, I don't preach my agenda. I don't tell my, I, I speak for you. This is serious. I'm your representative. This is as serious as it gets. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned <clears throat> to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Jesus. Uh, just this past week, I did a funeral of a 58-year-old uh, man, died suddenly of a heart attack. I didn't know him, uh, but his stepdaughter attends Gateway. She called me and asked me if I'd be willing to do the funeral. And I said, absolutely. I said, well, tell me, tell me about him. And I mean, everything I heard, he's just a great guy. Everybody loved him and just a wonderful guy. I said, well, tell me about his relationship with Jesus. And she said, well, that's the good thing. Just recently, he prayed to receive Jesus. So, wow, this would be a totally different funeral if that hadn't happened. We get to celebrate his life now. I mean... Talk about getting, un, getting in under the wire. He didn't know death was coming because it was a, just a sudden heart attack and it was it. It was over. <clears throat> but just prior, just recently, he had prayed to receive Christ <clears throat> because he had a wife who was faithfully witnessing to him. He had two daughters who were faithfully witnessing to him. They represented Jesus to him. They were carrying out the ministry of reconciliation to him. But it's the Holy Spirit that draws them. And finally, he started listening to the Holy Spirit. And he started realizing, I, I'm not going to be in heaven. And I want to be there. And we got to celebrate that. We got to celebrate. I never met him, but he's a brother in Christ. 
How cool is that? You know, this past year has just been a period of, have you ever noticed how a lot of um, negative emotions start with D? When I started thinking about this past year, it's been a period of discouragement, depression, disappointment, defeatism, despair, disgust, doubt. I mean, all these negative emotions. And uh, my job, though, to you as your pastor is to protect the flock and to feed the flock and to encourage the flock and to comfort the flock. But sometimes my job is to confront and challenge. So I want to give you seven thoughts about how to approach this year. Number one, choose faith over fear. Choose faith over fear. That means don't worry, but worship. Don't panic, but pray. You know, there are 365 fear knots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. Uh, It's kind of like God says, you need to get this one. Fear not. So choose faith over fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love, of power, love, and self-discipline. So, this is how you know where your power is coming from based on what emotions you're feeling. If you're just consumed with fear, you're living under your power. Live under God's power. One of the best witnesses, one of the most important witnesses that this community needs from this church in this season is to be a family that is not afraid, a family that shows faith, a family that is there to encourage. Uh, The best ministry you've got right now in this season is to be a person of faith and to be a person of encouragement. Number two, trust that God is in control. Sometimes you just need to be reminded that God's in control. Uh, in Job chapter 25, listen to these words. And, and I love the way the New Living Translation says some of these things. It says, God is powerful and dreadful. I, I mean, it uses that word dreadful, dreadful in the sense that there's no running away from God's judgment. When he starts to move, you're not going to get away from him. <clears throat> he enforces peace in the heavens. He is able to count. Who, who is able to count his heavenly army? Well, nobody. Doesn't his light shine on all the earth? Yes. How can a mortal be innocent before God? That's impossible. Can any way born of a a woman be pure? Well, the answer is no. David put it this way. He said, I was born a sinner. God is more glorious than the moon. He shines brighter than the stars. In comparison, I love these words. In comparison, people are maggots. We mortals are mere worms. That kind of puts you in your place, doesn't it? You know how disgusting it is when you, you know, pull back some raw food in the garbage and you see a bunch of maggots in there? Well, that's kind of how how we are compared to God. We're nothing. And yet God chose to send his son to die for us. So be assured God's in control. Let's look at Psalm 75. I mean, this really deals a lot with the sovereignty of God. 
It says, we thank you, O God. We give thanks because you're near. People everywhere tell of your wonderful deeds. And God says, at the time I have planned, sovereign, he's sovereign. At the time I have planned, I will bring justice against the wicked. That's not your job, that's God's job. At the time I have planned, I will bring justice against the wicked. When the earth quakes and its people live in turmoil, I am the one who keeps its foundations firm. I warn the proud, stop your boasting. I have told the wicked, don't raise your fist, don't raise your fist in defiance at the heavens or speak with such arrogance. For no one on earth from east to west or even from the wilderness should raise a defiant fist. It is God alone who judges, sovereign. He decides who will rise and who will fall. He decides that. For the Lord holds a cup in his hand that is full of foaming wine mixed with spices. And this is a form of judgment. It's not a good drink. He pours out the wine in judgment. And all the wicked must drink it draining it to the dredge. But as for me, I will always proclaim what God has done. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. For God says, I will break the strength of the wicked, but I will increase the power of the godly. And I want to tell you, God's word has not changed. Even though that's in the book of Psalms, that's still true today. And I want, you know, let, me, let me say this about the sovereignty of God. It's meant to be a comfort to you and me. As Christ followers, you and I ought to find great comfort that the fact that God is sovereign. He's got this. He's in control. That makes me feel good. That makes me feel, I, that's why I don't have to be anxious. God's in control. Number three. We have to be patient. It's not the end of the story. If your guy didn't win in the election, just be patient. It's not the end of the story. And, I, and I'm not really talking about the election now. I'm talking about long past our lives. See, here's the deal. You and I are a part of a novel. We're a part of a novel. The last chapter, it's already written. We've got it. The book of Revelation. That's the last chapter of the novel. We know how it's going to end. What we don't know is how many chapters there are before the last chapter. We we don't know that. And, And so you're a part of that novel. And so we're just in a season. We're in a season, but the time is coming when the last chapter starts to be read and carried out. So be patient. It's not the end of the story. Listen to Habakkuk. When's the last time you read out of Habakkuk? Habakkuk chapter two, the first five verses. I will climb up to the watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. You know, God gave us the Bible You and I have it written down. We can give the right message to people because we got it. 
This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. Revelation will be fulfilled. It seems slow in coming. Wait patiently for it will surely take place. We don't know how many chapters there are before we get to that last chapter, but that last chapter is coming. Be patient. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. Hmm. Can you think any examples of that? I mean, prideful people usually reveal a crooked heart. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. That's for you and me. Wealth is treacherous. And the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave. And like death, they are never satisfied. Hmm. That's why... Some people just never let go. That's why some people hang on as long as they, I mean, they never have enough. They never have enough power. They never have enough money. They have, never have enough influence. They just got to have more because they're driven with arrogance. They hold, open their mouths as wide as the grave and like death, they're never satisfied. In their greed... They have gathered up many nations and swallowed people. You know, that's a good example of the history of the world. I mean, how many, how many countries can you name over history that just were all about conquering and having more? Modern time, we see this today. We see this all through history. Always conquering, always wanting more. So how long is this going to go on, God? And God says, I got it. I've got this. You trust me. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, so we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. He says, don't do it. Rather, fix your gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we can see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. So basically, we're being told, trust God. Everything that you see, it's not going to last. Focus on what you don't see. Because it will last for eternity. You see, I, I'm, I'm not able to see what God sees. You cannot see what God sees. Psalm, uh, Romans 8, 28 says, and, and we know that God causes everything to work for the good. Now, that's not saying everything is good. It's saying everything works together for the good. Of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I don't know if you remember Corey Tiampoon. Uh, she's the one that wrote The Hiding Place. Um, she was um, in a concentration camp during the Holocaust and and uh, then she just became a traveling evangelist for the Lord. And, and she said this, she had this famous saying. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. 
But if you look to him, you'll be at rest. Number four, don't jump to conclusions. That's a lesson to be learned. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. Solomon, after all the things that he wrote in Ecclesiastes, <laughs> all the things that he discovered and all the uh, things that just led to dead ends, he said, so here's my conclusion. Here's the bottom line. Fear God and obey his commands. That has never changed. That's the same commandment today. Fear God and obey his commands. Proverbs 14, 15 says, only simpletons believe everything they're told. If Solomon was right, writing that today, he would say only simpletons believe everything they see in the news and everything they see on Facebook. The prudent carefully consider their steps. Proverbs 23, 23, get the truth and never sell it. Keep it. Also get wisdom and discipline and good judgment. So stop jumping to conclusion. Go to the truth of what God has to say. Number five, look for lessons to learn. Always learn lessons. Never let a failure go wasted by not learning the lessons. Never let a disappointment be a waste by not learning a lesson from it. Isaiah 20, uh, 42 verses 24 and 5 says, Who allowed Israel to be robbed and hurt? It was the Lord against whom all we sinned. For the people would not walk in his path, nor would they obey his law. Therefore, he poured out his fury on them and destroyed them in battle. They were enveloped in flames. So you would think they would say, okay, God, we get it. We repent. Oh, no. Listen to what happened. But they still refused to understand. They refused to learn their lessons. They were consumed by fire, and they did not learn their lesson. Learn your lessons. When tough times come, learn your lessons. Now, here's, here's just a couple of lessons I learned just, in, just during the election. Number one, political polls are pointless. Uh, I learned that one. Number two, if you say something enough, it'll be accepted as truth, whether it's a bold-faced lie or not. A big one I learned was our nation is definitely divided. Right down the middle, we are divided. That's why we need Jesus. He is the only one. Po politics are not going to heal our nation. A president is not going to heal our nation. Congress is not going to heal our nation. But Jesus can. Another lesson I learned about this election, there is no mandate. Anybody uses that word, don't believe them. There is no mandate. Another lesson learned is our nation is a, in a voting gridlock. You know, but there's some positive things. There are many areas that we all believe the same things. We just 
disagree on how to get there. And that's where we struggle sometimes. Now, there are a lot of things we absolutely disagree on, period. But there's some things we do agree on. And we just have different opinions about how to get there. A lot of lessons to learn. What lessons have you learned during the pandemic? I don't know. For me, I learned relationships matter. I care about people. And it hurts when I can't be with people. Number six, there's two more. Number six, be empathetic with everyone, regardless of what they believe in or what their political stance is. Be empathetic. Let me go ahead and just tell you, at Gateway, I promise you, not everybody voted the way you voted. I guarantee you, at Gateway, there's some people that absolutely did not vote the way you voted. So should we kick them out? Absolutely not. That's, that's one of the reasons why you don't hear me make political stands or, or you don't hear me uh, endorse a candidate because when I do that, I'm telling some people, you're not welcome here. If you don't accept who I endorse or what I believe, you're not welcome here. I don't think God would be very pleased with that. You see, the Bible says in Romans 15, 2, we should help others to do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Well, how can I do that if I run them off? How can I have influence when I run some, somebody off? How can I do that when I build a wall? You see, empathy doesn't mean that you accept. Empathy means that you listen and then you listen some more. Before you speak, empathy means you try to hear them. You try to understand them. You take, uh, you know, when you listen, truly listen to someone, you'll be amazed at how more open they are to hear your thoughts. And the Bible says something about <clears throat> when somebody gets really harsh with their words, the Bible says a soft word will turn away wrath. What that means is when somebody raises the volume gets real intense, if you calm it down and talk softly and not so intense, they typically will lower it. But if they come at you like this and you immediately do this, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just going to be pushing back and forth. But if they do like this and then you do like this, they just, <laughs> they don't have anything to push against. Empathy is choosing to listen and build a relationship because only when you build a relationship can you influence. The last one, number seven, look for things to be grateful for, especially if your guy lost. First Thessalonians commands this. 5.18 says, be thankful in, it doesn't say be thankful for, but be thankful in all circumstances. So regardless of the circumstances, I'm to find a way to be thankful in that circumstances. If you're dealing with cancer, you're not to be thankful for the cancer, but you can be thankful while you're in that cancer and dealing with that cancer, you can find ways to be thankful. That's what he's saying. 
For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So you need some motivation? There it is. This is God's will. And so here's what I'm thankful for in this circumstance. And I'm talking about the election and I'm talking about the pandemic. It is a great opportunity to engage in meaningful conversations. Picking up the phone and calling somebody and just saying, hey, tell me how you're holding up. How are you doing? And just start having meaningful conversations. What a great opportunity to have those kind of conversations. It's a great opportunity to to teach your children and grandchildren. And I want to tell you, one of the best ways to... um, The teachers that I learned the most from, the professors I learned the most from were the ones who led me by asking amazing questions because they made me think. So as a parent, learn to ask good questions of your kids because then they start to realize, hey, they care about what I think. But if all you're doing is just telling and telling and telling and telling, that works for a while because one day they walk away and they go and live their own life and they say, yeah, my parents thought this, but psh, not, not me. And you're going to be so shocked when you find out they, they think differently because you never took the time to listen to them. And you lost your opportunity of influence. So ask good questions. Then you can influence Now, let me just say something straight up. Every life has a beginning and has an ending. And I did a funeral this past week of one that ended far sooner than they thought it would. In fact, I've done lots of funerals like that. And when you're not prepared for that ending, no matter when it comes... It's a huge loss. So what have you done about Jesus? God wants to be reconciled with you, and Jesus is the way he did that. Now, on a bigger level, every country that's ever existed had a beginning and had an ending. Every country that exists right now had a beginning and one day will have an ending. Every government, every elected official, every political official has a beginning and has an ending. We can focus on that or we can focus on what lasts for eternity. And that's God himself. Are you focused on what truly matters? What really matters? Remember, you are God's ambassador. You get to speak for Jesus. How awesome is that? Let's pray.